In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We live in an incredible time, a time of acceleration, a time of profound change, a time of rebirth. Today, we are here with an incredible guest, uh, Reverend Dr. Rochester. Some may know her as Madrina Jessica. She's an author, a lecturer, a interfaith minister, a transpersonal counselor, the Madrina of, am I going to say this right, Sue de Montreal, Richie... See you. Thank you. Seo de Montreal. And she has written an incredible two-volume set of books called Ayahuasca Awakenings, Guide to Self-Discovery, Self-Mastery, and Self-Care. Today, we're going to be talking about book one, just self-discovery and self-mastery. So, Dr. Jessica, how are you today? Did I leave anything out there? Uh, I think you did really well. And thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And uh, it's it's great to be back on your show. Thank you for your generosity and in, in sharing your time and your audience with me and giving me an opportunity to talk about some things that I see are really missing in the conversation. A lot of them are just missing in the conversation. Um, regarding entheogens and psychedelics. You know, there's this huge international movement, everything's opening, and um, and so be it. You know, this is what needs to be happening. But a lot of us are concerned where the focus, you know, the spotlight on the stage is on a few things. And um, I was compelled to write these books. And what's really interesting about it, um, can I share the story a little bit? Yeah, because it's, please it, do. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm sitting in, in the Santo Daime, it's 26 years now, I'm Daimista, and 25 year anniversary of our church, so we're celebrating this year 25 years, and five years of our legalization, which I worked 17 years on, and I have this long-term relationship with the OCS, Office of Controlled Substances, for you Americans, that's the equivalent mm -hmm. of your, I think it's your DEA or a branch of your DEA. 
And I, I just want to give a shout out to the to the staff, to the from the director general on down, all those years, and still to this day, a relationship respectful, well educated, willing to look at the research and the science. I can only say thank you to all the different I guess nine different director generals that I got to know in the process. But I really want to say that for those of you who want to see movement, who want to see good policy, work with your government, be a little bit more patient rather than working against. Okay, if you know that you there's intelligent people everywhere and there's reasonable and fair people everywhere. And if you show up with your credentials and with good science, then you will be taken seriously. You know, it may not be instant, but be willing to plow the <laughs> plow the field and plant the seeds and do that. Anyway, so here it is. You know, all, all along I've known I was going to write books. So it's like a 40-year saga. And, but I didn't know when. I wasn't sure what it was going to be about. And um, at any rate, so I'm, I'm sitting in a Santo Daime work in our church. And I feel like something opens above me. And those, those of you who are accustomed to non-ordinary state of consciousness work will understand what I'm saying. Those who don't will think I'm a bit cuckoo. I, something opens above me and this flood of information, light, intelligence starts to pour through my seventh chakra, crown chakra. And in that moment, I feel like I am a dry little river bank that's just being flooded by the monsoon. And that was the experience of it. This is how a river feels when the monsoon comes, which is kind of like just open to it. It's going to flood your banks. And all you need to do is kind of allow, surrender, try to move in the stream of consciousness of it. But for sure, don't try to block it, you know. And from that work on, it was like all the little notes and things and in all my books on my bookshelves, all the little post-it notes and notes in it. And it's like, okay, get cracking. You have to write all of this out. And then it wouldn't let me publish it. I wrote it. And it was all finished by 2011. And it wouldn't let me publish it. And it's like, okay, when am I going to publish this? And you're not going to publish now. Don't even don't even bother trying to open doors. You know, I spoke, I, I submitted it to a very well-known um, publisher, American publisher who publishes this kind of work. He says, it's excellent. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But I can't publish a 600-page book from a new author who nobody knows. So it's like, okay. So the spirit told me it's not going to be now. And now I have my answer, not now. And it was only after our legalization, after we put on, I, I was shown that I had to do this conference that we did in 2019, the first conference on ayahuasca in Canada. And it's on our website. You can access it through mine. For those of you who are interested, uh, shout out to the wonderful people who came and spoke, Paul Groff, dear friend, Brian Rush from CAMH. Um, Kent Tupper, who people who are involved in policy know very well, you know, dear friends, Mark Blaney, um, you know, they, they packed up and came in and did their thing. And uh, anybody who's interested can um, see those videos. And, and then there was this other little project that had to happen, Entheogens and Psychedelics in Canada, proposal for a new paradigm where we talk about education, credentialing, who's going to be credentialed to do this? What kind of education do they need? So for a year and a half, we, you know, rattled about across the nation with 20 plus contributors, 
making remarks to this and then we published in the journal of canadian canadian journal of psychology and, and then spirit said to me oh by the way now you can publish your books <laughs> now you've laid the ground you know and it's like okay so here we are and so that's the story of how these books came to be and what's really funny is I have some people in the field say, who are you? I never heard of you before. And now all of a sudden you're kind of talking about this and that. And it's like, no, that's what spirit wanted me to do. It wanted me to get legal, to put all my energy into that and building a strong foundation, hopefully here in Canada. And, uh, and you know, step by step by step and being willing to follow that, which brings us to the opening chapters in the book. Do you want to ask some questions or jump in there, George? Well, I, I'm going to on. It's it's fascinating to me, and I I am content to learn and listen. But it, it's it's fascinating to me to see or hear the way in which you were inspired or brought about to do it. It almost sounds like you could write a book about how you wrote the book, and it's weird that as you were talking as you were telling that story, it makes me seem as if. Had you gone against the wishes of the spirit and tried to do it earlier, you would have got in your own way and it wouldn't have been what it was. And there's lessons you had to learn along the way. And I, I feel like there's a lot of lessons in, in everything that we do. So when you told that story, it's, it's, it's fun for me to listen to. And I think that there's a lot of learning that can be done in there. So yeah, let's, I think we can jump into the, to the book and, and I'm, I'm thankful to get to hear that intro about it. Is we had talked in the beginning about maybe starting with, karma and meaning is that what you wanted to move into first or is it something you wanted to maybe uh no, with? right into what is the self and karma and those yeah. are the opening chapters in the book is what is the self this is something that you know we can think of victor frankl you know mm. um, when we come to meaning in a little bit but yeah. these are questions he's asking existentialism who am i why am i here so that's where we need to start. It's like, who am I? What do I believe about myself? Who do I think I am? You know, and, you know, a uh, shout out to uh, Roberto Saggioli, the Italian psychiatrist, who I think his work does some of the best groundwork of exploring the self with a much more larger map. More about that later. So we all ask these questions. And and depending on the environment around us, the culture, the political level, our family environment, all of these are factors. And people don't get that. It's like we were born. What's your birthday? Joy? 10, 20, October 29th, 1975. 1975. Okay, well, guess what? You were born into a story that had been written millions of years ago. And but the thing is, is we all seem to think it started when we arrived. <laughs> what I'm saying, I mean, yeah, there's history, but it's kind of, I don't know, there's this kind of disconnect from the understanding that we're born into this. It's like walking uh, onto stage in a play and it's act three, yeah. scene five. You know, the play's been running for a while and the characters have been developing and the story's been unfolding and, and we have to get up to speed with that, you know? And we all have this kind of narcissistic view of ourselves and the world. And that's why there's actually in psychology, there's actually like the narcissistic stage on me i'm the center of the universe however that's around the age of three and by the age of six through those magic years we really should have come to grips when things are larger than just me and what i want you know want doggy now and want candy now and 
all of this stuff. But we can look around and we see, hmm, there's still a lot of that. You know, a whole other conversation is narcissism, you know, spiritual narcissism. That's for another day, perhaps. Back to the self. Who am I? Why am I here to have a larger cartography or sense of self? The maps that we work with. You know, do we think this is a one lifetime thing? So we have to start looking at beliefs. What do I believe? Do I believe what I've been taught in my family of origin, in my local religion, in the local culture, in the environment, what's on TV, on the radio, in songs, in movies, in books? What do I believe about me and my life and why I'm here and what it's about and who I am and where did I come from before I was here? You know, a lot of people say, you know, big focus on where to go when we die. You ever notice? Just big focus on that, right? And, and that's important. We all want to understand that. But very few people are very few people are researching where was I before I was born? What state of being was I in? Did I exist in some form? And so the few researchers and writers who've addressed that deserve, again, a chapeau for talking about the continuum. Is it just this? Well, yes, we can agree. This is George life. You're not going to change lives midstream. You may change your name legally. You may make all other kinds of changes, you know, dye your hair pink and get a tattoo. And there's all kinds of things we can do, even surgery and all kinds of options. You're still George. (laughs) Inside of you, you're, you're still you. Whatever that you, you come to think of as being the authentic you. And finding the authentic you, of course, is is the journey. That's the hero's journey. And that's the core of what these books are about. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I grow me? How do I develop me? How do I find my potential? How do I transform my karma that I've brought into this lifetime? How and, and then the baggage, the biographical, the the autobiography, the story of my life. How do I transform that so I take the good from it, and I transform and or forgive and or grieve and or whatever needs to be done with the painful aspects of what I experienced in my family of origin, in the schoolyard, on the street, in my culture, in my society. Because there's a lot of wounding that happens, you know. And sometimes these are small little things like a paper cut and they're pretty easy to transform and change. And sometimes it's more like broken legs and broken arms. And it takes sometimes a lifetime, if not more, to to come to some transformational resolution and a sense of greater completeness about this. Did you have any questions about yeah. like karma or? I do. Okay. So I, I first wanted to say the first part of that particular talk about the self reminds me of a thought experiment that people can do. And that thought experiment is what happens if you close your eyes and you never wake up? And I think if you think about that for a long time, you begin to understand that like, you know, that which was never born can never die. What's it like to go to sleep and never wake up? What's it like to wake up and never go to sleep? That would be birth in some ways. And so I, I was I was thinking about that thought exercise when you had said that. And when we began talking about karma and coming into this world, it may, I, my question is, do you think that maybe the, the uh, karma that we have is is that related to the tragedies we can see in other people? Do you know what I mean by that? Like sometimes you can see the yeah. tragedy in other people. You may not even know them. Is that maybe related to your your, your karma somehow? 
I believe so. That that first of all, we all have empathy. Now, okay. some people have. Here's about boundaries. About healthy boundaries. There's a beautiful prayer by Chief Yellow Lark that talks about about not having too much empathy that it overwhelms you. So he's talking, he's in his prayer, he's he's asking to have a heart of compassion without everything flooding into him. And so next week when we're talking about that stuff, remind me and we'll come back to that about healthy boundaries and and how to, you know, how to understand this is the world of me. This is my little me world. And now, you know, again, how do we open doors? You know, we all have the wall, the great wall of George and the great wall. (laughs) Okay, we all have walls and some people have tiny little picket fences and other people have great big stainless things up. So with barking dogs and, you know, sort of a Berlin wall. You know, that I visited in 1971. It really did exist. You know, thank God they tore it down. you know, the guard dogs and the machine guns and the barbed wire. And some people have walls like that. But how does how does the me that I think of as being me, how do I relate to others? And what do I open to? And what do I learn to close to? And, and what does that look like? How does it, how is it at its most healthy so that I can go through my life feeling a sense of well-being and here, this is very Buddhist, but the right thought, the right word, and the right action. Yeah. And and when we have those three simple things in mind, it makes the path easier most of the time. People think it'll be harder, but actually, it gets more simple. And um, and the only thing that strains up again is it is our ego. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So karma. Let's. You know what is a. What's a karmic mission? What's a karmic agreement? You know, these are conversations that are had um, with all different kinds of versions and impressions of them. Of you know, what does a karmic agreement look like? So there's a lot of people who, in their lifetime, feel like there's a calling. There's something inside of me that is calling me into this path of study. Something that's calling me into this this way of working. So creative people have that a little bit closer to the surface. They can't help but start picking up instruments or pick up pencils and colored pencils and start doodling and drawing and stuff like that. Um, the rest of us have to struggle through okay, <laughs> and pay attention. Okay. And so there's some people who are, and I'm not talking about the, the adorable little under six year olds who say, I want to be a firefighter. Or I want to be a doctor and stuff because that's all to be encouraged and say, well, right. honey, that's a possibility. Let's see how it unfolds. Okay. And then let them go through all the changes they need to go through. But how do we honor those feelings, those callings inside of us? You know, and I'm going to use a very famous film, you know, Star Wars. Here we have Luke Skywalker. If there's anybody listening who doesn't know, go watch the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and here he is, and he's staring up into space, and he feels it, but he can't identify it. He doesn't know what it is. He just knows that there's this deep longing inside of him to get somewhere, to go somewhere, to do something. And then he has to follow the synchronicities and the little openings that happen, like the trail that starts to lead him. And that requires awareness. We need to pay attention to all the book that comes to our hand or the 
the friend that we meet somewhere who mentions something and something sparks, you know, if we start paying attention to those things, always, of course, making sure they're grounded. You need to be grounded. Okay, I'm not talking about just following fantasy here. There's a difference between fantasy, of which there's far too much in our culture, far too much fantasy. Mm. Um, it should be enjoyed the way you enjoy, I don't know, an ice cream or, you know, it should be like a fun movie or a fun fantasy book. You know it's fantasy. <laughs> okay. But there's this kind of, let's call it new age stuff, which isn't transpersonal stuff, which got very confused with, that has all too much fantasy in it, you know? Come to that again later. So, Karma, you had a question. So, when it comes to karma, is is it the, we talked about a story earlier, now we are born into this book or stage you're born into act three, stage five. How is it that you can become more aware of maybe scene two when you were on stage three? Like, how do you build a relationship with, you know, maybe potentially your soul's past in incarnation or maybe your soul's future incarnation? Or is that even possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. <laughs> and um, in in the transpersonal work that I do, mainly, you know, in psychosynthesis, uh, the work of Roberto Saggioli, and then training with Dr. Stanislav Grof in, right. in his work of transpersonal psychology and holotropic breathwork, what we really learn is about what's called body memories. Mm. The body remembers. Now, is it actually the physical body that remembers? I don't think so. But since the soul is is kind of immersed in the body, it's not like water in a glass, right? Um, then you it becomes known as body memories. Why? Because body workers, really good body workers, massage therapists, anybody who works on your body can feel those places where the energy is blocked, where the tension is tight. And... And this is classic, is how we hold our bodies, where the tension is, um, where those, where it feels blocked and stuck. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people walking around who kind of live fifth chakra up. Do you know what I'm saying? They live in their head, they live from here up, and they're very disconnected right. from what's happening in their body. And that's usually because of, there's usually a reason for that that needs to be explored. Why did everything stop here? Is because I was too scared to express myself. Mm. I didn't know how to express myself. There wasn't space where I could allow my feelings or thoughts or ideas or enthusiasms. Or if I did, I got punished or, you know, whatever. <laughs> so it stops there. <laughs> You know, other people, they're kind of living, you know, lower down. You know, they, they've disowned or rejected first and second, second chakra issues. Um, you know, a, a big chunk of their emotional life is held there, their survival instincts and things like that. And so that's why, you know, in, in this first volume, we, we do a, a quick study, a brief overview of the chakra system so that we can understand where what's going on in the various parts of my body and, and what are the longings that are there and what are the challenges that are there? So let's bring it along to, to meaning now. Mm. Meaning is something that we add to everything. Okay. We start with associative meaning. Those are the ads that we put on. Okay. If you, for example, if you had a little, dog did you ever have a dog or a cat or of an course animal? 
Yeah, okay. So tell me about your dog. Tell me what was your dog's name? What kind of dog was it? Well, I had a little cat. I have two cats now that I can tell you, but I got Freddie and Harold. And we got them as little kittens from the shelter. <clears throat> and they were they were feral cats. And so they were a little bit wild and kind of nutty. But the the more we got to spend time with them and get to know them and maybe cuddle them and make our home their home, the more they became ours. And maybe not so much ours as our family. So I, th I feel like we've got to build a relationship with them. And, and the more that I think about it, the more I felt they were part of my family, the more meaning I gave to them. Like they became more meaningful to me. Yes. Okay. So now I'm, I'm a cat person too. I've had cats and I just love them. So I'm happy to hear about you guys. And so you've encapsulated meaning. If something comes into our life, we have an experience with it, and then we add meaning to it. And so what I'm hearing in your story is, is you liked cats, you got these two kittens in your family, and they were a bit feral, they needed some care, so you learned patience and, you know, awareness of them and things like that. So now you have this thing with cats, the meaning that you add to cats is, oh, wow, that's a great experience. I really loved it. And this is what I learned from it. So that's the meaning you add to cats. Okay. Somebody could have a terrible experience with something. Maybe a dog bit them when they were three years old. And now that's the meaning that they add. Maybe they have a fear of telephones because they watched their mother, father, somebody receive a terrible, when they were young, a terrible phone call that brought them really, really difficult news. And so there's now this, this meaning that's connected to the object. So how do we recognize this? I think the example I use is A Course in Miracles. And, and this is probably the finest way of, remo of, of removing, of being able to say, you know, this is, we're not going to get into the matrix, there is no glass, there is no water, <laughs> but what we will do is say, there is a glass and there is water, but what meaning does it have to me? It has no meaning other than the meaning that I add to it. So, A Course in Miracles, uh, you know, a shout out to that. Um, for some of us, especially women, um, I have I, I don't endorse it as as a hundred percent because it's very patriarchal. Uh, it's difficult. It, it really filtered everything that that the you know medium who received this information. It got filtered in a very kind of tight um, patriarchal version of Christianity, and and so you know anybody working with it, modify it to suit what works but some of those some of those you know some of those teachings are so beautifully designed to help us help us understand the meaning and to remove the associative meaning to deal with the original thing and 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 let a telephone be a telephone and let a dog be a dog and let everything you know to strip the associative meaning the second type of meaning, uh, as I referred to Viktor Frankl's, the existential mm. meaning. Right. What meaning does life have? Well, good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, you come up with anything new, share it. We'll all be interested. You know, because that's again just stuff that our little brain is trying to figure out and is trying to. You know, we can look at all the philosophers and everything that they've written about it. And the bottom line is, you know what? I think you have to find this one for yourself. Yeah. I think that all those philosophies can be 
educational can be very interesting, can awaken more thinking for us, definitely. But in the end, I think the who am I and why am I here, that has to be something that each person has to discover within themselves. And on the route to do that, they'll understand more about their karma. Does this make sense? Yeah, it, it makes me wonder. Do you think maybe Viktor Frankl's book should have been called A Man's Search for Meaning instead of Man's Search for Meaning? <laughs> I, I think, I think, yeah, that would be helpful. But right? we have to remember where he was and what Without he was a doubt. experiencing. And, you know, really honor. Um, yes, He Without was a doubt. able to, you know, he's an example of rising up. Unbelievable. In, the midst, in the midst of this, I will find my true self mm. and I will try and be a beacon of light in even this, you know, and that's kind of Gandhi and Viktor Frankl and Martin Luther King and all those greats who, you know, who, who decided this is dreadful mm. and I want to be part of the solution. And to do so, I recognize that I have to be a beacon of light. Yeah. And, and all you listeners out there who think being a beacon of light is great, be careful of fantasy thinking. Okay, this is not a Marvel comic movie. Okay, that's not how it goes. It's, it's, a, it's a much more serious and deep inner study and requires, um, you know, moment by moment, moment by moment study of myself and my awareness and, and being here and a, a dedication to, you know, the path that you choose to follow that will allow this to happen in your life. Does that make sense, George? A lot of things are attracted to the light. And, you know, I've, I used to go to the desert quite a bit and it's beautiful at the desert at nighttime. And we would go out there and, and my, my family had, we would go camping all the time. And whenever there was a big light out there, everyone would go see it whether it was a campfire or whether it was someone burning an engine or something like that. And there was a lot of unsavory things that happened because people burn those lights. And sometimes we, we burn warning lights, but everyone goes to the light and not just people that you want around you. I, I think that there's a lot of things that come with light that people aren't aware of. And that's really the first time I've heard people, someone say it like you did. So yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm beginning to understand it. Okay, great. So we'll move on to transpersonal meaning. What's yes. transpersonal meaning? Transpersonal meaning is, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it even, you know, it's just a phrase that I'm using. I'm not sure if it is legitimately a technical phrase. Okay, but it's the phrase that I'm using to describe the kind of the meaning that things have in the, in the, in the larger. It's beyond the personal. It's way beyond the personal. And so what you will find is that certain things have certain meanings cross-culturally around the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> whatever culture you go into, you're going to find that there's almost always a similar meaning to something, that something has a similar meaning. And so to that, so it's big, it's different and bigger than existential, who am I and why am I here? It's different from associative meaning, you know? A wonderful experience with cats, terrible experience with a dog or an elevator or a car or a phone or whatever it is, okay, or a situation. And, 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 and it's something that ripples through the collective human unconscious. And so when we find, for example, handprints on caves and we find stick figures and we find, and then we look at ancient traditions and we find all oh, the same symbols 
the same symbols, the, the circle, the square, the star, the all of these things. You know, you find, for example, the star. You can see I've got some mm -hmm. on, on my wall behind me. Okay, the star, if you look, the star is everywhere in every culture. Okay, and the meaning, if you look at, at um, you know, a good dictionary of symbols, which I think anybody working in the transpersonal field will have one or two on their bookshelf. If you look at that, you'll see this universality with many symbols um, that goes much deeper than the personal experience as to what these shapes and forms and even colors, you know, what, what red, how red speaks to us and how black, what black and, and pink and purple and green and all of these different colors, how they, how, how they kind of, what they psychologically kind of represent to us and mean to us. And of course, this is used in advertising and it's used mm. always, you know, these symbols and colors and shapes and things are used in a subliminal way yeah. to speak to our unconscious. And so, was there anything you wanted to ask about that? Those are the three types of meaning. And and it's for each of us to, to kind of do our homework and and figure out, you know, what meaning does my life have for me and what am I attaching? For example, I do. yeah, go ahead. So on the topic of transpersonal meaning, it seems that you know, when I, I've read uh, Young, A Man and His Symbols, and you can look back to archetypes and symbols and the way they're used. But one question I've always had is, you know, it seems to me that translation means interpretation. So when we're looking back at these symbols, how are we in? Are, we're obviously translating what someone else meant by those. So is it possible? Like, how do we know that we're interpreting that accurately? Well, I, I don't know if we can, other than to say, I think it's, here's where anthropology is really helpful okay. and mythologists are really helpful because what they'll do is just gather information and they'll say, okay, look, all these cultures around the world, when they put the circle, that's what kind of the circle means. <laughs> right. I mean, when you think of a circle, you're probably thinking of good things, right? So a square, a square is a foundation. That's what you build on. You know, so there's, 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 you know, this is where certain um, academic studies are extremely helpful in, in helping us understand these things because they're just gathering all the information and they're putting it together and they're trying to make sense of it. And they see that all around the world, you know, these symbols are being used and this is what they represented in ancient Egypt. And this is what the Incas meant by it. And this is what, you know what I'm saying? And so here it is, guys. Here's the information. And what we want to be careful is to not get too attached to things, especially mm. interpretive things. And this is something I think I, I talk about a little bit um, is, is, you know, and, and then, you know, lean into the Buddha's teachings. Anytime you have a doubt about attachment, <laughs> you know, the original voice on, on attachment and non-attachment and the power of non-attachment. Um, and so uh, as we as we use these tools to help understand ourselves and our place and our going forward in life, we don't want to get too in attached to them, especially the ones that interpret. Um, for example, I'll, I'll use astrology. Astrology can be extremely helpful. Mm. Um, however, taken too far, it's not useful. 
you know, um, when people ask me about it, I will always say, um, you know, if you're if you're interested in it, it can be extremely helpful to understand the, the characteristics of your sign. Um, for me, I was shown that um, again in in Santodami works that there is a a moment in the when we are being when we are conceived when our body is conceived. Why was it that month? not the month before or the month after. Why was it then? And and our birth, why are some births early and some late and, you know, all of that jazz and when do they come? And it's the baby that releases a hormone that says I'm ready to be born. So, you know, I've always put astrology as one piece of the multifactorial um, environment in which the self exists so we have um what i do have in my books is a lot of diagrams because i found right. that diagrams really help people understand i'm visual yeah. so diagrams help me so i thought okay they're going to be diagrams mm -hmm. and and so in the book i have diagrams of the self and the factors that influence us you know during birth in our mother's body during birth and post-birth the factors that are influencing us and and have a role to play and we can say that astrology is one of them it's not the only it's not the biggest but to, right. to ignore it like it doesn't exist doesn't make sense either okay so you you choose the good from it and leave the rest don't use it as being too predictive don't use it as a daily thing it's you know it's not the weather report um, and on another level, it is kind of the weather report, you know, check in once a year or twice a year and get a, oh, okay, so this is operating. And and this may give me an added boost to go forward with something. Oh, I see this is a challenge currently. Okay, so I understand that that's a challenge. It's not something weird and invisible inside of me that I don't understand and why is everything so difficult and blocked. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I'm trying to have a picnic when there's a, a windstorm. So um, you can use it as a tool to contribute to your understanding of your daily life, but don't let it become the thing that directs your daily life. Does this make sense? It does, and it brings up another point in transpersonal meaning. You had brought up David Bohm and his theory about matter and how yeah. matter is intertwined with meaning. I was wondering if maybe you could share some of that with the people. I thought it was fascinating and I've never, I've, I'm going to read more of it because I'm not, I wasn't familiar yeah, with please, it. Please, if you've got, if you're open to that page, please read the quote. Yeah, it's let's, such let's, a beautiful quote. So it's under the, the part of transpersonal meaning. And the physicist David Bohm developed a, developed a theory that states the matter, energy and meaning are mutually enfolding aspects of reality. He proposes that energy enfolds matter and meaning and that matter enfolds energy and meaning. Therefore, meaning enfolds matter and energy. His theory suggests that meaning is both an underlying link for body and mind and an inseparable aspect of the whole. He believes that meaning is an essential part of one's overall reality and not simply an abstract aspect of the mind. He suggests that, quote, we are the totality of our meaning. I had to set the book down after that. Oh, it's, it's beautiful to think about. And there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. You know, physicists are always deep thinkers. 
And, and, you know, should you ever, you know, I'd love to have the, the British um, particle physicist, Brian Cox for dinner, you know, if you're ever out there hearing me, you're invited, um, you know, it, 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 there my, and why that physicist over say Neil deGrasse Tyson, for example, who I totally respect and who's wonderful, but Brian Cox includes spirituality, which Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't. And Carl Sagan, his his mentor, did not. As a matter of fact, a wonderful story. Stan Groff sat down with Carl Sagan once and tried to explain to him, you know, his understanding of the unseen realms. And, you know, if you couldn't touch it, feel it and smell it. In Carl Sagan's world, it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So or it was yet to be proved or something. It's sort of like proof, proof, proof. Got it. OK. And, and we need those people. They hold a balancing part. Okay, they're the string on the helium balloon. So, um, that physicists who talk about spirituality in the unseen realms and how they meet and merge, and that you can't, in the end, you know, what we've recently in this last what decade or so, decade or so, discovered in physics that there's the pulse and there's the wave, and and what's happening here. You know, so we've gone down into the microcosm at the same time we're going out into the macrocosm and we have, you know, incredible, well, the Hubble telescope and we have um, what the VLTs and these telescopes that are doing these extraordinary missions, of, you know, going out into space, the original voyagers that right. went way out into space. And, and so we're exploring, but no one should think that we have the answers. We're in the adventure. We're in the adventure. And we have some of the answers based on what we've discovered and uncovered. But on another level, we are still in the adventure and we're still looking for a whole lot of things that we don't understand that seem to be way beyond us. And if I've shared this story before, George, stop me. <clears throat> I had an experience where... Um, I was ascending into the light and as I reached what I felt was um, kind of the ceiling of heaven. I don't know how else to describe it. It felt like I ascended through the light and felt it was just light. There was nothing except this tiny little sense, grain of sand sense of me. And I asked the question, what lies beyond this? And the answer came back. As long as you're connected to your human form, you can't know. Hmm. And that little tiny sense of me, that was the string, okay, that was anchoring me into this lifetime. And as long as that is there, then there's things I think we're not going to know. We may have touches of them and senses of them, but not know in the way that we think we want to know. Or is this... Yeah, it, it you know it, it reminds me of a, a quote that Terence McKenna said, and, and it was someone had asked him, "Why do you think we're allowed to catch a glimpse over the abyss?" And he he just he had some elegant way of saying, "Why do we get to see a glimpse?" That I don't know, but the you know just just the elegant way in which he he posed the question and the way that he had said, you know, we have a moment a moment of clarity where we're allowed to see something bigger than ourselves that we're unable to describe. And, you know, it's, it, it is these moments of clarity. And, and I've been very fortunate to have some of these moments where, 
you know, I, I find myself seeing every decision I've ever made and how it could play out momentarily, but seems to have lasted a lifetime. And it's just, it's, it's these moments that you can dwell on and draw inspiration from or draw ideas from, or it's almost like you're, you've, you catch a glimpse of the, the creation that you yourself help play a part in creating, but it's, 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 it's very difficult to find the proper words to describe it, but it's, I, I, I do believe I understand what you're saying about the string and the helium balloon and being connected. And, you know, if history is any sort of barometer, one thing we know for sure is that we don't know and we always get it wrong. And so I find myself in debates with people sometimes that are telling me, well, if you can't taste it. And, yeah. Not always, George. No, no, no. There's lots of times we get it right. There's lots of times we get it right. In science and medicine and, and look at volunteer work, helping others, you know, planting, planting trees, cleaning up the mountain, saving the whales. Come on. I don't know. Like, I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but it seems to me we always look back and been like, gosh, we could have done it better. Gosh, if we only knew this. And I, I do think that we we strive to get it right, and we have the light in our souls to become the best possible. And we, a lot of us, think in that direction, but we're, we're flawed in so many ways that we can't get it right. And it seems sometimes that we're we're here to learn how to get it right. But I, I can you give me some more faith in in how we do get it right? Because I struggle there. Well, you, your name is Legion. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Read, read any read any biography of uh, of a saint, okay, who's on their face, <laughs> and how hard it is to just kind of follow the basic principles of the tenets of their faith, whatever their faith is, okay. It doesn't matter, you know, their whatever their faith is, you know, their you know that wonderful story of of I think it was Pope John the second. I think it's as told by Jack Cornfield and um, in one of his books. And apparently, um, you know, and, and here was a good man who did not have an easy job. I don't know why anybody would want that job, but <laughs> it was a mission and he took it. And so apparently he's lying in bed one day and he'd fallen asleep the night before and really troubled about a problem. Really, it was heavy on his mind, but he thought, I'll sleep on it and I'll see how I feel in the morning. And You know, that moment when you're first waking up mm. and you're kind of still in the dream world and not fully yeah. here yet. So apparently he's lying in bed and he's just waking up and he thinks, oh, okay, I'm going to go and speak to the Pope. Then there's a moment and he goes, oh, I am the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where, it, that's where it goes, dear. And always end up that we have to speak to ourselves. You're right. We have to find the heart of the matter within ourselves. And, <clears throat> and in that moment, all we can do is pray for grace. You know, the word pray or prayer has so much baggage attached to it. And um, I deal with that in volume two. We can talk about that next week. But it's got a lot of baggage, you know, and especially people who have who have suffered, they or their ancestors have suffered at the hands of uh, misguided, incorrect, and, and um, you know, I don't know how many other adjectives to use religions, okay, where, where humans have taken control 
of, and mainly the patriarchy, sadly, but humans have taken control of spiritual traditions mm. and designed them to provide power, money, uh, position, wealth, um, uh, and other whatever other agendas they had um, in, in the positions that they felt they were called to or wanted to take. And so I want to, I'm hoping that in part these books will bring people back to a true deep understanding of the power of whether we call it positive thinking, affirmations, prayer, it's all part of the same thing, you know. And so what do we do when we get to that place where we know then we have to trust. We all can decide, do I have, what do I believe? We're back to beliefs. Do I believe that, you know, that there's something larger than me that I'm actually connected to? Another physicist, Einstein, said, the solution of separateness. I think I've got his quote in my book somewhere. Yeah. The solution of separateness. You know, it's an illusion. We're all connected. Everything is one. And again, this gets addressed in volume two. All this oneness, oneness with nature, oneness with each other, oneness with the cosmos, oneness with, let's call it the divine or the great mystery, which is what indigenous people will often, often call it the great mystery, okay? That we're one with that. Well, if I'm one with that, then, you know, and this comes into the kind of uh, a, a key part of this first volume is the, is the teachings on the will. Now, I mm. believe that the will, willpower lives in our third chakra. What else is in third? Third chakra is a busy chakra. It's got a lot going on for it, okay? You think the heart's just, you know, doing that. It's the heart thing. You know, it's either closed, partially closed, open, grieving, okay? So pretty straightforward hard stuff is. But third chakra is a little bit more complicated because our will, I believe our willpower lives in third chakra. I believe it is there. It's our power center. That's our power center. It's that solar force in our body, in the central place of our body that contains our, our sense of personal power. It contains our sense of self, our sense of responsibility. What am I responsible for? What am I not responsible for? And our willpower. So that's why I believe willpower lives there is because that's where I experience it. I really deeply, I know other, other cartographies of the chakra put it somewhere else but if you think about it where else would it be other than the power center this is like putting the engine in the car on the roof you know, you know it needs to be where it's driving the wheels dear okay <laughs> and so I, I i i write about you know the using the chakra system and willpower and and what those chakras represent and the longings with them and the thrust and the power that each one has. And when we get to third chakra, I open it all about the will and how the will becomes compromised by things, external things, and then us internally deciding to shut ourselves down or from it back up, you know? The conflicted will, especially that classic, yeah. you know, pleaser rebel dynamic. So a lot of our unresolved childhood issues of dependency and counterdependency are alive and well and living in third chakra, or at least acting out through third chakra. So we have that part of us that feels like we have to please and go along and acquiesce and do um, sort of ultra-responsible, hyper-responsibility 
versus the other part of us that is the rebel. Now that's very counter-dependency, teenage year energy, in which we are dukes up fighting everything, justifying ourselves, defending ourselves, you know, in battle against anything that looks like it's not self and not in agreement with self. <clears throat> and this stuff gets acted out um, all the time. And we can see it being acted out in politics and in business and in entheogens and psychedelics. Yeah. We can see it everywhere. So what do we do about that? How do we make an alignment with our willpower, with our authentic self instead of unconscious, conflicted parts of ourselves having a go at it? Um, how do we align that? How do we align our willpower? so that our willpower is in alignment with our authentic self and our, our true kind of our true path you know do, do you think that there is some relationship to inner voices and origins with the will absolutely um i that's a whole chapter about inner origins so i talk about you know the classic archetypal inner voices we have the judge right okay, everyone we we have there's a justice. It's an archetypal thing. <laughs> to it, everybody. Now, do, is is that inner judge? Is it a wise servant or is it a cruel master? And if it's a cruel master inside of us, then it will be a cruel master usually outside of us. And so we become tight and judgmental, and you know things that we don't want to do. Another, um, you know, kind of inner voice is the master slave thing. Right. And, that's that's a whole conversation. <laughs> what am I a slave to? What have I been, you know, who's who's, you know, again in 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 archetypal and uh, psychology and mythology, you have the inner king and queen. Now you know that all of us doesn't matter what our body is in this lifetime, male or female, but um, whatever we've got, all of us are connected to these archetypes and the inner king and queen when they in, are in harmonious. Um, union within us. In other words, when when we align and own our inner female and inner male, understanding that we all have both, okay? And this is a biological thing as much as it is a spiritual reality, right? And and so how do we align those and, and come to terms with the inner judge, um, the petty tyrant, okay? That's a classic it's a rite of passage i think everybody who's on their spiritual journey has is obliged to encounter a petty tyrant and and be in the worthy worthy confrontation and battle with that so inner voices um can be our we all have voices in our head right and you know this is not this is like not psychopathology that I'm talking about, that's something different. I'm not talking about those kind of voices. I'm talking about, you know, the voices that we all have. You know, oh, why did I do that? Oh, did I forget mm -hmm. that? Oh, so-and-so this and that and all this chatter that goes on in our head. Well, we want to reduce the chatter, but at the same time, we want to learn to listen to the inner voices, the voice of inner wisdom, the authentic self, the one that says, mm, no, don't say that right now. That's yeah. not <laughs> the one that says, uh, pick up the phone and call that person and take ownership of what you have done or didn't do and clean it up. The voice that says, the best way forward is the very thing you don't want to do. Okay. 
that thing that you don't want to do, that's often the best way forward if you listen to your inner wisdom, okay? Your inner wisdom will also tell you, don't go there. Aha, uh -huh, I warned you, don't go there. Okay, I warned you, don't take that second and third piece of cake, drink, whatever it was. Okay, job, task on your plate. Your inner wisdom will be saying, told you, don't do that, don't do that. So we all have to come to terms with that, you know? We also have our voices of instincts, of ancestral knowledge, of, you know, those are things that we have to listen to and we have to understand and we have to decide what kind of space we're going to give, you know? I think on some level we're all feral. You've talked about your feral cats. We have an aspect of ourselves that is very old reptile brain. And whether it's, yeah. it's the, whether it's DNA, okay, whether it's our, you know, Neanderthal DNA, or whether that's really hardwired into survive. And to survive, I need to do this. And how do we come to terms with those inner voices? I think by acknowledging them, by listening to them, without necessarily giving them the power to make decisions. Yeah. I, Dr. Jessica, we're, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be mindful of your time. I have some time set aside, but I, I want to make sure that you don't have any other engagements because I don't want to take any more I'm, time if you have I'm, stuff to do. I'm good till 1.30, so. Okay, perfect. We have so, more time. What I'd love cool. to do is get into the self-mastery part. And, and yes. a lot there. Yeah. Um, um, I, I take the reader through the maps of the conscious and yes. the unconscious. And so we talk about awakening consciousness. We talk about emerging paradigms. So we talk. I take the reader through from Freud. We have to mention Freud. He you did. Got him. We, we have to. You know, people want to kick him out. Yeah, I certainly don't agree with a lot of the things that he was doing and teaching. But then, you know, medical doctors were bleeding people. So we have to make room for, in his era, at his time, you know, that was then, this is now. So we bring forward and acknowledge that. We And and, and young, and then from yes. young, Sagioli, because they were all colleagues. They all knew each other, you know, and then to Stan Groff and to his maps. And people who want to understand um, the power of um, their own unconscious need to take a look at the maps. You know, it's like, like I live in Montreal, you know, I understand that Montreal is a little, has a little mountain. It's an island in the middle of the St. Lawrence river in, in Quebec, which is in Canada, which is part of North America. Okay. These are the maps. Can you imagine growing up and having no idea where your particular hometown was uh, on the map, your relationship to the rest of the world. And so, you know, this is in part what we can do for those people who are interested in understanding themselves, then these maps of, of transpersonal psychology are kind of essential. So, yeah. uh, you know, we had the, the meeting of East and West in the late 60s and early 70s. I had the privilege of being part of that. I was in the ashrams and, 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 you know, embracing um, Hinduism and Buddhism and working in Buddhist retreats and studying. It was for me, it was Vipassana Insight Meditation that I started in the early 70s. And that just really spoke to me. And so embracing what the East had to offer. And, and then came the North and the South. And so by, you know, 1996, I'm down in Brazil and hello, I'm, I'm part of that first, that first wave. It was a group of people um, who became an, an imperative part and an essential part of the first wave of the ayahuasca religions 
um, coming out of out of Brazil and going internationally. And so we look at the union and the gifts of mm. East and West and North and South and the ancient prophecies around them and how they came to pass. And then we go, okay, what do I need to learn here? What is in this story is here for me? And so I then take you on, you know, some of Joseph Campbell's work, The Hero's Journey, and explain how the spiritual path is really very, you know, Joseph Campbell really lit the torch for the rest of us to follow when it comes to understanding the stages in the hero's journey. So then we talk about the death rebirth cycle. And I use cycles of change. And I think we can all relate to kind of different uh, transformative imagery in our transformation. So there's the three that I chose is caterpillar to butterfly, snake that sheds its skin, and the phoenix. And if people come to understand these things, they will see that these are larger than us. These are life processes. Okay, imagine that you're innocently living your life in Ukraine and the next thing you know, a year and a bit ago, there's this happening, right? This is a phoenix. It's something that you have no control over, that all you can do is say, okay, this is what's happening. How do I manage me and myself in this? What do I feel called to do? Do I stay and fight? Do I leave? Do I protect my family? Do I help out? What is what do I stand up? Do I speak against? Do I what what do I do? What's my calling to do? And if and if we each fit into the slot, the piece of the puzzle of this is what I'm called to do, then we find that everything will work itself in the way that it's more largely meant to work. So that that would be an example. A phoenix would be. Um, what happens when, you know, your whole life is upended? Five years ago, um, five years ago, actually, anniversary near my birthday, just a couple of weeks ago, my husband broke his neck. He was in an accident where he broke his neck. He's left with quadriplegia and um, and all the things that come with that. So he was five months in, in intensive care in a spinal cord injury uh, specialist uh, wing of the hospital sacre Coeur here in Montreal. And then he lives in long-term assisted living since then. That was a phoenix. In one, one short period of time, in one afternoon, our entire lives changed. Seemingly out of everybody's hand, but it affected everybody around you. So that's a phoenix. When something comes along and then all of a sudden everything has to be changed. I had closed my private practice, we had to sell the house. I mean, everything changed, everything changed. That's a phoenix. What's a caterpillar butterfly? Well, that's when you have the luxury of feeling the calling and going into this lovely little cocoon, okay? <laughs> People who go off and they go in the forest and they go in a retreat or, you know, uh, and, and they're in this safe, secure place where the transformation can take its time to evolve. They then need to be willing to emerge in a completely different form. Yeah. So snake, snake is a really interesting one. And those of us who have snake process in our lives need to know it and understand it. What a snake does when it's going to transform itself 
is, and, and I want to give a shout out to a book by Ted Andrews, um, who uh, has written probably one of the uh, best books on understanding um, in a shamanic way, animals and their meaning. And the name of the book is Animal Speaks. So a shout out to him and his beautiful work. And <clears throat> so snake is a process in which, you know, the snake has to find a rough patch of ground because it's wiggling out of its old skin you see and so it starts splitting around the mouth it gets too tight and feels really uncomfortable we imagine okay and um and it splits around the mouth and then it has to the snake has to wiggle itself out and it needs a really rough patch of ground and it, to do that, it's it's also very vulnerable because although it tries to choose a spot where it won't be preyed on, um, it's a very vulnerable state because it's kind of out in the open and kind of public. So those of us who have snake in a process, we don't get to go in a nice little comfy cocoon. We don't get to transform ourselves by going off on a little retreat somewhere. We have to do it on rough ground, okay, which usually means snake process happens when there's something really difficult in your life and you will feel tight and you will feel kind of pressured, and but you will feel this need to emerge in a direction, in a new direction that may feel extremely vulnerable. And do you understand? Does that make sense what I'm saying? There is obviously yeah. in the book a lot more explanation about this but when we understand that there are processes it's sort of like giving birth yes every yeah. woman's experience is a little different um but you can generally say some things that are common to all of it okay or or to the major percentage of them and and, and so you can say this about life that there are passages and processes that we go through and in in more ancient traditions we had rites of passages yeah. that had meaning and ritual and richness in which the whole tribe would honor the person who was in that rite of passage whether it was going from a child to an adolescent or the rite of passage of marriage and giving birth and then aging and becoming an elder and then dying all of these were acknowledged but we don't today so it's, um, you know, it's a whole other cultural norm around these things. And so how does that, how do we align that with our own life experience? Next in the book, we talk about encountering the shadow and the dark realms mm. of the collective unconscious. This is something that I found is absolutely not part of the conversation. I mean, people will talk about, there was a whole lot of, conversation about bad trips you know and um actually um i was interviewed for a master's level graduate level uh program as part of their program i was interviewed to talk about bad trips and that was the first thing i took apart which is <laughs> such a thing as a bad trip isn't it isn't there just a difficult passage that's what we call it as a dynasty it's a difficult passage and i know in 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 the peyote tradition native american peyote church tradition they don't ever talk about getting ill they talk about you know when you're purging that's getting well you're yeah. actually getting rid of that you're clearing the things and so this is you know what we learned in the holotropic breathwork with jan groff is when you go into those difficult passages they're profoundly healing but in our culture and society and most of our biomedical models what we're doing is we're trying to stop them block them go over them go around them you know 
find in every other way of, of dealing with them other than actually going through the passage and learning what we need to learn um, about ourselves. Now, does do support systems? All those things are positive, wonderful things to have. Good support systems, skilled professionals who understand the maps, who can support people, uh, group support, family support, um, whatever good sense of, of support is needed, but not as a replacement for or a way of band-aiding or masking. <clears throat> we can look at the movement that's happening for people with post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, people in the military. How many, <clears throat> excuse me, how many people now are looking at the power of using the non-ordinary state of consciousness? Because people are realizing what I need to do is I need to re I need to relive that body memory, that experience that I had when I was on the road and the and the bomb went off and my buddies got blown to bits and I had to keep on going and in the moment I couldn't sit down and cry about it because I had to keep moving and and try and stay with the troops and get them where they needed to do and 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 manage this. So there, everything that we feel about things like this has to be put on one side, you know. But then the healing comes in revisiting that from a completely different perspective. Mm. Now there's a space being created where I can actually grieve these things that happen. Not in a way of trying to even still make sense of it, because who can make sense really, I mean, of why the human species feels compelled to keep making war. I mean, it is what it is. The same way that great teacher Jesus said, the poor will always be amongst us, he might just as easily said, there will always be some people who will want more. And we just yeah. have to say, yeah. In the meantime, let's keep working on love, harmony, truth, justice, peace. Let's us, those who want to work on that and develop that and build that, let's work on harmony and justice and peace, right? Yeah. Put all of our energies into that. And those people who want to go make war, well, let's hope they eventually get on get on board with what we're trying to promote. So the dark realms of the collective unconscious. Wow. It's a big topic. Uh, I go in depth on it. I talk about the shadow. And first of all, the first question we need to ask is, is this mine when we encounter difficult things in non-ordinary states of consciousness or in everyday life? Is this mine? Is it just my stuff that I'm projecting? Okay, these my fears, my bugaboos, my unresolved, mm -hmm. untransformed little bits that I've had cluttered around since this lifetime and maybe past lifetimes. So is this mine? Is this something that I need to transform? And then there's the family shadow. This is classic Jungian, by the way. Right. The, family, the, the family shadow, you know, stuff that happened in the family that I could feel all around me, but I didn't know what it was and nobody ever spoke about it. And yet it somehow affected me, especially for the empathic, spiritually and mm. sensitive people. They're going to pick up all that shadow material, but they won't know what it is and how to deal with it. Okay. Then there's the national shadow. All the things we've tried to kick under the carpet, right? We all want to look good. And so nations want to look good too. It's the rare nation that says, wow, we really made a mess there. and We need to help clean it up. That's kind of rare. A little bit more accountability is happening these days in certain areas, but there's still a lot of areas where 
and feet are being dragged. The environment, nature, indigenous people, we can make a list, right? So that's the national shadow. And then there's the collective shadow. Look at all the stuff that's down in the basement and up in the attic. All those <laughs> half-broken things that are just cluttering up, you know? How do we say, that's not mine, but what can I do? I can send it light. Yes, we can't open the door and let it back up into us. How does that help? And that's a lot of what's happening. If we look at, at least this is my thought, okay, that a lot of what's happening, especially with, you know, everything that's currently happening, never mind COVID and wars and unrest and the economy and, and nature and everything, and we're talking about collective grief and we're talking about prolonged grief and we're talking about all of these things. Okay, well, what is actually happening here is the sensitive person is taking a look at the planet and going, oh my God, what is happening here? And then it backs into them and they have no tools to stop it from backing into them because we are connected to we're back to we're all one so we're connected to everything in the cloud unconscious and yet we're we are you know we aren't the wave we're the pulse and we're the wave and we're the pulse <laughs> and so how do we identify with the, this is me this is what's mine i cannot fix or change that what i can do is i can just simply send it light and because being connected and vibrating with it does not help the individual and it does not help our, the culture. It doesn't help Mother Nature. It doesn't help anything. Us just gnashing our teeth and, and, and pulling our hair and, and, and you know worrying and worrying and worrying does not help anybody or anything. Choose a course of action. Whatever it is, donate to a charity, participate in some kind of action that will help you feel, okay, I'm doing this. This is my piece that I'm doing. I'm doing this to further education or to help save the whales or clean the river or I'm donating money, time, energy. I'm doing this towards that. Choose a charity, anyone that your heart feels close to. Put some time and energy there. You know what? Put your phone down. Get out of social media. Stop endlessly binge eating and watching Netflix or whatever you're doing, okay, that everybody seemed to have been doing while COVID was on. No, find a way of supporting and putting your good energy into these things. Now, obviously, uh, you know, one of the tricky things is disowning and projecting the shadow. You bad, me good. You wrong, mm -hmm. I own now we can see this everywhere okay and that's disowning and projecting the, the the shadow and how do we stop doing that George? i i think that if you can see the shadow as yourself as a mirror then you can begin to change your ways and change the world around you but i i don't have the answers but that that's a technique i try to use does that seem like a good technique to use Yes, <laughs> it's 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 the absolute ABC of it. <laughs> Wait a second. Inst you know, I, I had a wonderful dear friend um, recently deceased who you always say every time you point your finger, you have three more pointing at you, pointing back at you, an indigenous Cree man elder, and um, and it's like if we get okay, I'm doing this, but I got three fingers. I need to look at that. 
before I can do this. I need to look at what, what do I own in this? What's my piece? And if I work with my piece, then I'm going to be in a much better place with that. It doesn't mean that we don't address things that require addressing. We just address them from a different place. Is that straightforward? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'll say, it oh, well, you know, I can't judge anything, so therefore I don't. No, we still have to be mindful of healthy boundaries and justice and fairness and and authenticity and truth-telling. And sometimes it's very challenging to have to deal with things in work and business and relationships and everyday life, you know. And um, at the same time, we, we must to have harmony. We don't have, you know, in, in our tradition, those are the four principles of foundation, which is love, harmony, truth, and justice. And you know what? If... It, it, you notice that it doesn't say anything about liking. <laughs> just don't get, you know. And you don't have to like someone or something to create a space. If we can agree, quick definition of love, a space that we create for other people to grow in. Mm. That's uh, that's a summary of of Scott Peck from The Road Less Traveled. He has one of the best definitions of love um which i credit and add my own thoughts on in volume two but if, if yeah, we can have no harmony if there's no justice if there's mm. no fairness how can we possibly have harmony because right. somebody's standing there saying you got three and i got none or you got four and i got a half how's that fair how can we be in harmony if there's no justice Truth. If there's no truth telling. So four basic principles that are really difficult to live in, but they are worth living in. You know, you never regret it when you live in those principles. That's really well said. I, you know, I, you know, I just want for people that are watching, I want to show the book so people can see what it looks like. And it's, it's, Ayahuasca Awakening, this is volume one. And you know, one thing that I've like I've been through it. I gave it a cursory read, and I've only begun to go back and start putting my sticky notes in and getting my highlighter out. And you know, I really enjoy it for a lot of different reasons. And one of the reasons is that it has such a depth to it. Another reason is that what you can pick up and look at the chapter. And the, each chapter will speak to you. So, you know, it, it need not be a book you read straight through the first time. It may be something you pick up and you look at this chapter or this one grabs me today. Mm -hmm. And it's something that as I'm going back through it, I'm finding more and more things. It's, it's a really meaningful and there's a lot in there and there's a lot of footnotes and there's a lot of other things that you point to where people can go and find the information if they're willing to do it. And those type of books don't come around too often. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I don't think satisfied is the right word to explain how I feel about it because it's a lot more than that. Although it is very satisfying. It's, it's, it's really well done. And I, I hope that people that are listening to this go and, and check it out and get both volumes. It's Ayahuasca Awakenings, a guide to self-discovery, self-mastery, and self-care. Like, we've covered a lot, Dr. Jessica, but we've only scratched the very surface. That's no right. 
Thank you. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying about it because this has been essential for me to include the resources and the references yes. and to point the direction as you want to know more about this. And there's a lot of quotations in the books. There's diagrams in the books to make it as simple and as well-rounded. I can't read books that have kind of stolen from here and borrowed from there and stolen from here and borrowed from somewhere else. And then they jam it all in with some couple of personal experiences as if they are the source of, of, of these teachings. Uh, for me, it's maybe it's how I was raised or maybe it's the wonderful teachers that I have had um, that have, have set the role model for doing that. Um, is I, I, I really want people to get the larger understanding of this. And yes, absolutely, the books are guide books. Yes. Guide. So it, it's not a Stephen King novel, okay? You, you, you're not going to pick it up and read through it like that. It's, these are the kind of books you have on your shelf. And, you know, some people, they tell me the first thing they did when they got the books was they read through my personal story. And then I skipped through where's all the Madrina stuff and just read that. Okay. All my personal encounters with things. And then they went back and started to read about all the theories and the foundations and the, and the, and the cartography, you know? And so, yes, these are kind of like reference books that so people can read them however they want to read them. And if there's a particular chapter that jumps out at people, then yes, absolutely start there. So uh, it's not a whodunit. You know? <laughs> so um, people will find the value in the books in whatever way they do. Um, just want to say a few words, um, you know, before we start to wrap up. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the, the shadow and um, teachers. I read about teachers and tests appear in many different forms. And, and this is really important to understand. Um, we, we get that we get tested on every level of our life. Okay. We get, we're in school for you know, some of us forever. <laughs> it feels like, okay. So, uh, you know, we have school, we get tests and presentations and papers and, and it goes on and on. And the longer you're in academia, the more you're doing that. And, and we take that as a given that we go to school and we have to write tests. We want to learn to drive. We have to pass tests. We want to learn to scuba dive. We have to pass tests. And, and it's not just a written test. It's an open water test and we're driving. It's a driving test and a written test. And, and there's all these tests. You want to learn to fly a plane. Guess what? There's tests. Okay. And, and you want to go to business school. There's going to be tests. Okay. We're, we're in a business world and we are tested. <laughs> we get annual reviews. Yeah, this report card isn't very good. Okay, so we have this. Why do people not get that we're going to get spiritually tested? I, I'm not clear on that. Why don't people understand that a lot of things that happen in our everyday life are a form of spiritual test as to the degree of authenticity that we are going to bring into the moment? With what integrity do I face this situation? Do I bring the best of myself? And if in the moment we find like, uh-oh, flooded, can't do it, then at least let's own that. You know what? I'm not able to do this right now. Give me a little bit of time to think about it and consider it. And then I'm happy to meet with you next week or tomorrow or something. I need to reflect on, on some things concerning this issue. So we can learn to set limits. We can learn to defer if we realize mm -hmm. wait a minute i'm not in my best place right now 
I'm reacting to something that's coming at me or I'm reacting to a situation or I'm realizing that I don't have all the information I need to deal with this. And, and so having that, understanding that a lot of things are, are tests and being willing, it's a test of our faith. It's a test of our confidence. It's a test of our, you know, our worldview. Do we really believe that? Okay, you believe that, then this is a consequence of believing that. And so all of these things that I'm calling spiritual tests, they're part of our everyday life. Another thing that's really interesting is um, I have a, a, a chapter on, or in, in as part of this, it's called um, Open Doors and the doorknob is on the inside. Okay. <laughs> and and um, there's quite a bit about mediumship um, uh, for people who understand what I'm talking about. And again, that's a whole other conversation. That's going to be another book um, or just on mediumship. And what people don't seem to understand is um, people who have the world view of this was done to me, it's not mine and it's not my fault, okay, can be a little bit hypo-responsible. Lots of things do happen in our lives that we are not the source of. Yes, with a lot of other things we've co-created. Okay, we get in a fight with someone, right? It's their fault they started the fight. Hmm. Have we noticed how we justify and defend whenever there's an issue? And, and we want to be the right one. Okay, we want to look good. I call this impression management. Okay, where we're managing everybody's impression of us. Okay, am I looking good today? So, um, and, and, and this leads to a lot of trouble because then we're not being authentic. We're not trusting our inner wisdom. <clears throat> but whatever we're doing isn't going to be for our higher good or the higher good of the situation. <clears throat> when we get that the doorknob is on the inside, we open the door. This returns our power. But it also gives us the responsibility. I tell a story that I'm going to share briefly here. Um, uh, one of my encounters with a petty tyrant included some very interesting exchanges. One was in which he, and I write about it in the book, in which he you know, completely had lost his temper over some things and displayed what I can only describe having children and grandchildren as being a two-year-old tantrum in a 60-year-old body. Okay, almost complete with lying on the floor and banging heels and hands, but not quite. Okay, and so once the other five or six people who were with me in this meeting and I, we were able to help calm the person down and help the person see reason. Okay, afterwards, I chose a moment to go and ask if I could speak to him. And I, I said to him, You're a psychologist. Do you recognize that you need help with anger management? Do you not see that, you know, that, that you've got an issue here? And he looked at me and he smiled, a great, big, juicy smile. And he said, I have a door inside of me that when I open it, two dark beings come through. And I looked at him and I said, and why do you open the door? <laughs> Didn't answer me. So he gets, a, he gets a gold star for recognizing that he opens the door. 
So some people are very aware that they open the door. There's that moment of choosing. In, in, you, you know you were saying earlier how time is an illusion and <clears throat> I'm starting to lose my voice, sorry. How time is an illusion and, and how a minute can feel like a hundred yeah. years. And this is, this is classic, a day is, this is a thousand years, a thousand years this is a day, that's in the Old Testament. And so people have written about it, Larry Dossie writes about it beautifully. I write about it, time in volume two. Um, I write about in the circle of wholeness, all the things that uh, are in our life that we can make decisions about and educate ourselves about. And so there is that moment, it's just a moment. It's sort of like you're on the highway and there's an exit coming up and you have that short period of time in which you can choose to take that exit. But once you've passed the exit, you've passed the exit. Well, it's kind of the same thing inside of us. There's a knowingness, I'm at the exit now. I can take the exit here. I don't have to go down that same old road and do the same old thing and act out the same old stuff, the same old tired old story. Yeah, I, I see you laughing and nodding, so I yeah. guess. Ringing a bell, yes. Uh, of course, of course, and it's 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 one thing to think about it. It's another thing to have somebody tell you about it. But it's another third thing to combine those things and actually see it. And so that's what you're seeing is this dawning on me, like I've I know that I know where the exit I know where the exit is, and I know yeah. when I passed it, and I made a choice yeah. to pass it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but then your next step of awareness is which part of me, exactly the question I asked him, why do you open the door? Which part of me is choosing? Like, what does it look like the payoff is? Now, this is very 70s language here that I'm going to use, very est. Okay, what's, what's that payoff here? Okay, what does it look like you're going to get by doing this? And I'll bet it involves impression management. I look good. I have the power. I have the last say. I get what I want. Yeah, it's ego. I think it, it's it's yeah. the ego keeping itself alive, or it's yeah. it's it's that's what it is. It's it's you must do this to survive, but you actually you're doing the exact wrong thing. You're driving off the road, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I talk about rumble strips, by the way. I don't beautiful, know. You, beautiful. Everybody knows what a rumble strip is. It's that that kind of jaggedy strip on the edge of a highway, main highways. Um, that what they did with science was simply to discover that if they had that strip there, it would wake up people who were falling asleep in their car because it makes the car go all jiggle jiggle, and and it wakes you up uh, before you just careen off the road into the woods. So. Um, I let people know that there's spiritual rumble strips beside the highway that let you know, rumble, 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 wake <laughs> up, okay? And that they're actually, in our tradition, that there's a phalange, there's like a legion of beings whose job it is to be the rumble strip, to say, hello, okay, waking you up, you may not like how I'm waking you up. I had a really good friend in high school and and how that friend was woken up every morning because there was trouble getting him out of bed okay his mother would send in the german shepherd 
And the German Shepherd would go, yeah, I get to wake him up. And, and, and you know, like a hundred pounds of dog land <laughs> on the bed. So, you know, do we need the German Shepherd to wake us up? Or can we start Sometimes. to listen to that voice inside of us? Yeah, it's beautiful. Wake it's wake up, wake up. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's um it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Dr. Jessica, and I, oh, I really I appreciate it. it. It's a pleasure to talk with you. It's a, it's a wonderful time. I know I've got to head, head off on another trail right now, but it's been a wonderful time sharing with you. Um, I, I hope that, you know, I look forward to next week. Those of you who are listening or watching this, whether it's today or later or tomorrow or something, please join us. And um, we're going to talk about volume two. And that's all about self-care and the circle of wholeness and um, the, the four basic principles of self-awareness, self-love, self-respect and self-responsibility and how we need those four pillars within us. And so we talk, we're going to talk about boundaries and, and how slippery they can get and how unclear they can get and, and the battles that happen on the boundaries. So plus other things. And so where can people find you and where can they find your books at? Uh, they can find me on my website, uh, which is www.rev, or you, just what you see on your screen, Rev Doctor Without the Madrina. So Rev Dr. Jessica Rochester uh, is my website. And um, if people are looking for our church, they need to understand, don't come to me. I don't have a back door to get you in the church. I apologize, but that's how it is. And um and uh, so people who are looking for sedimentary, all the Santo Daimi in, in, in our church, uh, we have our own website. That website is www.santodaimi.ca. And, um, and everybody who's interested needs to be patient. Um, uh, if people want to visit, they need to understand that we go through a very rigorous screening process, that we want to assure the health and well-being of our visitors and we are a small church because um, true spiritual paths are not easy. And so although we welcome everybody, um, we cannot serve everybody. People who have medical contraindications or medications that are contraindicated, um, it is with love and, and all the best wishes that we have to acknowledge that according to Brazilian regulations and Canadian regulations and the deep heart of our tradition, we can't serve certain situations. The other thing people need to understand is a, my private practice is closed. Sorry, getting older now. All the changes in my life necessitated. I do have all, all the videos and, and um, various presentations are available free on my website. And uh, this is for educational purposes. This is just me trying to return to the community what I can to share the things that I've learned along the way. And um, and also that um, I, the, our church is, is a spiritual center, eclectic center for the universal flowing light. Uh, it's a spiritual center. It is not a therapeutic clinic. So this is a very important thing for people to understand. People might read something somewhere and think that ayahuasca might heal them of something. And much as they have our, our love and our prayers and our best wishes for their journey, we can't, the people can't come to our church thinking that we are going to be a therapeutic clinic and, and that they're, you know, going to be able to be treated in a clinical therapeutic way. 
we're not. We're, this would be like going to the ashram and expecting that or going to the synagogue or going, you know, it's, it's for a spiritual tradition. So people who are truly spiritually feeling called and, uh, and we hope in the future, we hope in the future to be able to be connected to a clinic where, whereby we would be able to, but we just need to be patient and let the government catch up and, and, and the people in the clinics get their training that they need so that they understand people's experiences that they've had in non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so, you know, I, it's awful asking people to be patient when they could be in spiritual emergency, but um, there is no choice right now is, is be patient and do all the good things. So that's my encouragement to the listeners. Get the books. I hope they help you. And in the meantime, take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Dr. Jessica. I really appreciate it to the audience listening today. Thank you. That's what we got for today. Aloha. taking a moment to hang out with me in the true life podcast i truly appreciate it if you're taking some time to listen to this whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way i truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart 
Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.